Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and I am joined today by Luke Kappa and Kara Williard. And you, dear listener, can go check out everything else we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. It's a nice little website, that blisterreview.com. But fun fact, point of clarification, the name of our company is actually Blister. You can call it Blister, but if people are like, Blister, that's interesting. Where would I find that? Then you say, well, you go to their URL, which is blisterreview.com. How's that, Luke? Was that clear? Yep. I think that works. <laughs> Are you going to tell people like you did the last time here how it's a little confusing because on Instagram, the handle is actually Blister Review? Are you going to say that part? Yeah. No, I believe in our listeners and their intelligence. <laughs> I think they can figure it out. And by the way, we'd love to change the Instagram handle to just Blister, but for some reason, Mark Zuckerberg won't let us. So Facebook, it's Blister. Instagram, it's Blister Review. It's a complex world, but you guys are all smart, or at least Luke Kappa believes you are. So good job for tricking Luke into thinking that if it's not true. Anyway, very happy to be talking to you two about this. Um, is there anything else we need to say before we get going here to get to the big event? We are working hard on our winter buyer's guide, and we will have more to say about that in the very near future. So just just know that if you haven't been seeing a whole bunch of ski stuff on our website recently, there's a very good reason for that. We have not been forgetting about it, uh, more so like thinking about it 24-7. So yeah, keep an eye out for that. We're also kind of revamping some of the Blister membership stuff. You. Y'all are going to be hearing about that quite soon. We got a whole lot of things in the works, like a whole lot in the works. Kara, do you want to go with any, drop any like really subtle teasers, like cryptic teasers? Oh, I don't know how cryptic I can be, but there's a lot happening right now. We are plugging away. Stay tuned. It should be in the coming days. And uh, yeah, there's a lot intertwined with both the buyer's guide and the uh, new blister membership stuff. So just... Keep it ear out for that. Okay. We definitely just won the award for annoyingly cryptic teaser stuff. So anyway, good. Blue ribbon to all of us. Speaking of things that we're excited about, and it's kind of yet, I guess, another teaser, but we can be a little bit less cryptic on this one. We're happy to tell you all about something that we've been thinking about for quite a while, but in order to give credit where credit is due, really, we got to kind of point back to the panel session that we had at our Blister Summit, where basically this notion of doing a alpine ski binding shootout and comparison kind of got proposed. And then y'all can watch. We'll put a link to that summit ski binding panel session Y'all can see in real time where Chris McKeeran was like, no, you guys should definitely do this. And I kind of balked. And then I think 30 seconds later, I sort of came around and like, you're right, we should probably do this. And guess what, folks? We're doing this. Normally, we talk about on Blister, like we kind of A, B or A, B, C, D stuff. This is like actually almost the entire alphabet. It's like an A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K type of situation. 
So let's just talk a little bit about some of the things, the brass tacks that are happening here, and then we'll get into a few of the questions that we have and things that we're going to be looking for. And then I think a big thing is we want to hear from you, dear listeners, about the things that you are most interested in sort of having us try to learn here. And I think where that will be interesting is if we start you know, if everybody kind of has the same questions or if there's a whole lot of people asking the same thing, that will be more interesting than it's like, we just have a bunch of disparate questions here, right? Yeah. Kara and Luke are nodding. So apparently they agree to, uh, to some extent, if not wholeheartedly with me. Back to the brass tacks. We have picked the K2 Mindbender 99 to serve as the reference ski here. And we are going to be bringing in 13 pairs of 184 centimeter Mindbender 99s and 10 pairs of 172 centimeter Mindbender 99s. So, you know, 23 pairs of skis in two different lengths. And we're going to be working through and putting, you know, kind of lining those up uh, with what we think are kind of the most of what we think are kind of appropriate bindings for these skis. So 13 pairs of 184s, 10 pairs of 172s. Now, before we go further, maybe this is a good time to just say a little bit again about like why we chose the updated Mindbender 99. In terms of the skis we tested last year, it was one of the standout models particularly in terms of the number and variety of our reviewers who really got along with it. Um, And that in turn translates to us thinking it's a ski that a lot of other people would like, but mostly it's a ski that does a lot of things well. It's not like it's only good on piste or it's only good in soft snow or it's only good skied in one particular way. And I think that's really important when we're trying to evaluate all these different aspects of these Alpine bindings. Like, Certain bindings, I'm sure, stand out when you're carving super hard on really firm snow and others, maybe it's better off-piste and really rough uh, rough snow where you're getting a lot of vibrations. So anyways, it's a, it's a ski we're comfortable taking into a whole lot of different scenarios. Um, and yeah, it was just one of the standouts in terms of overall versatility. Yeah, I mean, I always speak to that ski as far as just how versatile it is. I think uh, the second part being is that it is just a ski that's really easy to read. So I think it's a ski that's kind of going to be ideal for separating out some of what's going on with the bindings um, because we're able to read what is a pretty intuitive ski. Um, And that's the ski I spent a lot of time on last season, maybe more time than most others. So it's going to be helpful in that capacity, knowing that I have a lot of time on it in a lot of different conditions. Mm -hmm. And see, this is some of the things that are interesting to me. And I mean, I got on that ski and kind of clicked with it right away. And full disclosure, that is definitely not the experience I had with the previous 184 centimeter Mindbender 99. So like just keeping it real here, like, I mean, people can read our reviews of the previous model of the Mindbender versus this updated model. And, um, So I was quite surprised with the kind of versatility overall kind of ski ability of the, I keep saying updated, but what was the current Mindbender 99 for Luke all of last season? Or when did that, it it gets confusing, like 
technically the the model we're going to be testing on is the 2022-2023 model. That's the the season uh, where the updates went into effect. We've been skiing it since, well, roughly about the the blister summit back in February. Yeah. Okay. So it is the for anyone listening to this, it is the mind bender that you would be able to purchase now or find in shops. Okay. I got along with it well. I talked to Luke. Luke got along with it well. It was really surprising to me when Drew freaking Kelly was like, I really like this ski. Because I would have like, actually, if I had to bet money, I would have bet that Drew, weirdo that he is, would have actually liked the prior Mindbender 99 more. And so when Drew was like, I really like the ski, then our reviewer Dylan Wood was like, yeah, I get along with it. And then Kara, another surprise, given that you often will get along with, you know, longer skis. So if you had come back and been like, I don't know, the 172 didn't feel like enough ski for me, I would have been like, that checks out. So I think this is part of like, as our team was going through on this, it started to be like, actually, like this is just you know, we, I knew we would want to do a test like this on something in the kind of 99-ish width that did have good all-mountain capacity, but I was a bit surprised that we were kind of finding so much agreement among our different reviewers here, and, you know, here we are. Um, yeah. That's kind of how we got there. Kind of reminds me of back when we did our lightweight touring binding shootout. The ski we used for that was the original Solomon Mountain Explorer 95, which yep. was very similar case. Like everyone who got on it enjoyed it with yep. very different ski preferences typically. Totally. Yep. So that's our reference ski for this. Luke, do you want to take us through some of the bindings at least? I mean, there might be like a binding here or there that for you know different reasons maybe ends up sort of getting into the mix or falling out of the mix but overall do you want to kind of flesh out for people some of the bindings that we're looking at sure so um our main focus is on essentially four different brands um from marker we're looking at the royal family so that includes the jester griffin and squire from Solomon Atomic and Armada, aka the Amer uh, Corporation. We're looking at the new Strive bindings, uh, the STH and the Warden. And then from Tyrolia, the Attack series, uh, from Look, the Pivot series. And then in addition, we're also going to be adding in uh, the Marker Duke PT bindings, the 12 and the 16, as well as the Sh Solomon Shift uh, 13 and 11, uh, since those are kind of the uh, kind of the leaders in that 50-50 category. Um, they claim to offer all the benefits of an Alpine binding, but give you the option to tour in them as well. So that'll add another kind of level to this test that I'm super curious about. Um, and there are many different models within all those ones I just mentioned, hence the fact that we're getting 20 through 23 pairs of skis. But yeah, those are the, the main ones we're looking at. Okay, so let's talk a bit about some of the things that, you know, well, just starting with the two of you are kind of interested maybe personally to find out or learn. Kara, why don't you get us started? 
Yeah. So I think we have a whole list of questions right now. I think there's a lot that we're going to be diving into. Um, the one thing that I've kind of thought a lot about just with my background as a boot fitter is thinking about actual stance in a binding. And so this isn't something that's talked about a lot, but I do want to look a bit into Delta, um, which is effectively the ramp angle of a binding and kind of see um, how much of a difference this makes. I think ultimately what I've seen is this affects very few people, but in a few rare instances, I've seen it matter a whole lot. And one thing that's interesting is we're always adjusting our stance when we're adjusting the toe height of a binding to match what is like three different norms now. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I have had a couple clients in the past that um, their binding was actually the biggest variable that was affecting them from being where they needed to on their ski. And so I'm just going to kind of trial some of this. I'm a good candidate for it because I have a super rigid ankle joint. Um, and I think, you know, the boot is really where a lot of these issues should be absolved. So you should be working with your boot fitter um, in your boot to get where you need to be as far as your stance and feeling well balanced. But a binding is just another variable that can throw these things off. Yeah. And then I also just want to think a little bit more broadly about this because I spent a decade in a shop and you kind of see just like the most wildly strong opinions about bindings. Everyone that comes into a shop, customers, you know, they have like such a strong opinion or each shop tech has the most like profound, like this is the only way it should be kind of opinion. And uh, I'm wildly picky about certain things, but not really about bindings. And so I'm kind of curious to really like A-B test a lot of bindings. You know, there's certain features that appeal to me, but when it really comes down to it, it's like, where are these opinions being formed? And if we actually get to perform this test in like the most objective way possible, I'm going to put some of these like really strong opinions to the test and kind of see where we land. Yeah. I really think that's a great point. You're you're right, Kara. And maybe more than any other element of ski gear, I'll put that to you guys and see if you agree with me. That whole thing of like, oh yeah, I won't ski bindings from this brand or I'll only ski bindings from that brand. I think maybe as a generalization, we hear that more from people insisting I will only ski skis I will only ski skis from this company or I will never ski those skis or I will never ski those boots. I, I think you're right, Kara. It's probably bindings where we see the biggest blanket generalizations of this is the only brand for me or I'll never ski something from those folks. Agree or disagree? I agree. And I think, I mean, shop techs do have one added piece to this, which is they're constantly torque testing bindings. So they get to like watch release values time after time. And so I think that's one piece where, you know, they might have some validity there. But when it just comes to some of these other like sweeping opinions on different brands or, um, you know, different like even just like the different interface among like the new uh, boot norms to binding norms and like people having really strong opinions about binding to boot norms. So thinking about like grip walk, um, interface with their binding and saying that that's not, you know, performing as well, or that that interface isn't as strong as a traditional Alpine norm. Um, those are things that I'm just, I'm not really sure where we're at with that. And so this will be interesting to really put to trial. Luke. Yeah. I mean, that brings up one of the things I had noted was just, if we're going to notice any, kind of trends that apply to say all grip walk bindings from different brands or all of the standard alpine norm bindings or all of the new mnc bindings um 
particularly uh, Tyrolia makes the attack in essentially it's it's very similar but they make a Griffwalk version and they make an MNC version um, we've spent tons of time in the MNC version uh, the demo version of it but yeah I'm curious if if I'll notice any differences across the board with those different boot norms um, I think we're gonna have to be doing some uh, boot sole swapping because I also want to ski all these with the same boot uh, luckily I think all of us have a boot we like that that offers that option but yeah curious about that um, while Caro is mentioning shop techs I'm curious how many blisters I'll have by the time we mount all 23 pairs of these and if any of them are particularly annoying to mount and on that note just like we're going to be going deep on the performance but just like if you have one of these mounted to your skis, how easy is it to live with on a daily basis? Is it really annoying to adjust to a different BSL if you've got two different boots that aren't the same BSL? Is it annoying to adjust the DIN? Is it easier, difficult to step in and out of? All of that stuff. Like, does it require two different types of screws? Uh, looking at you, Solomon. Yeah. <laughs> Luke's biggest pet peeve. <laughs> Call him out, Luke. <laughs> I mean, realistically, like all of my anger towards them would be solved if we just bought a cheap, big flathead screwdriver, but it that doesn't make me less mad right now. Luke, tell you what, for Christmas, an early Christmas present, you can you can put it on the blister credit card. Sweet. A cheap flathead <laughs> screwdriver coming at Perfect. you, Luke, it's because we care. If only you guys could see the flathead screwdriver that we often resort to. Um, poor, Luke. <laughs> poor Luke. It's tiny. Um, yeah. And admittedly, for like normal people who like don't ever adjust these things, this is definitely a non-issue. But totally, yeah. yeah. But uh, poor Luke. Um, yeah, put it on the blister credit card, Luke. Uh, get yourself two, Luke. Maybe three. <laughs> yeah, I think that that'll be a worthwhile investment. Where else you want to go, Luke? Kara got two. Do you got another one you want to discuss? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's various performance aspects that I'm curious about. From my experience, having never done one of these direct A-B tests on the same exact ski, I very rarely am, at least I'm very rarely thinking about an alpine binding, whether I'm on basically any of the ones we're going to include in this test. But this is an opportunity to really suss out any noticeable differences and i mean there's kind of the classic ones like is the power transfer noticeably different i know some people claim there are significant differences with certain bindings curious about that um probably more so elasticity and suspension we've talked about that a lot with touring bindings um, because pin bindings have very little elasticity big reason why they feel pretty harsh and jarring in rough snow. Most alpine bindings have a significant amount of toe and heel elasticity, but there are some that have more of one or the other and is having more toe elasticity more noticeable versus heel. So I'm super excited about like this is the best opportunity we've gotten to actually see if we can notice those differences. Yeah, and I mean, again, people can hear me you know in real time sort of talking with chris mckeeran at the at our blister summit panel session on ski bindings i you know i've i've said like man when we did our at binding tests on the same ski the solomon mountain explorer 95 like there were pronounced differences in terms of performance it frankly i would say it wasn't that subtle but I said to Chris, like, I'm not sure if you, I count like 
sort of the best bindings among some of the brands that we're talking about here. I don't go ski on a, you know, when we're out testing skis, I'm not like, oh my God, today I'm crap. I'm on this binding from this one company. Like these bindings do tend to disappear for me. So this will be an interesting thing. And um, I don't know that I will come back saying like, oh, the power transmission is wildly different. But, and this is something that Chris McKeeran was definitely saying like on that panel session, how do we detect the different feel of the ski itself, right? Like this, like if it's about, wow, this Mindbender 99 actually is starting to feel pretty different to us, right? Less about the specific feel of the binding itself, um, and that's something that I'm quite open to and interested in. Pr probably that's my number one uh, going into this, right? And that will be fascinating. And because Chris and some other people have really tried to make this point, right? When skis are developed, certain skis are developed with a particular binding. And the idea that Chris and the claim that Chris wants to make is, therefore, a ski will that was developed with a certain binding is likely going to feel best with that same binding i'm a little skeptical of that we're about to find out yeah yeah that that was one of the other notes that i had listed as well um mostly just because like right now i'm i'm thinking all about like when we did that lightweight touring binding shootout I don't remember thinking this ski feels different with this binding. I was all focused on the boot to binding to ski interface, like all focused around the, that area. And that's where I felt all the different sensations, but who knows, maybe it will be different. Um, another thing is, so we, we have currently our review pairs of the Mindbender 99 TI those are mounted with demo bindings and in this we'll be able to test the non-demo binding version of the same binding so that's another chance for us to do a direct a b against demo bindings and that's another thing that got brought up in that panel discussion um and i personally don't have any issues with demo bindings but i also spend at this point probably more time on demo versions of bindings than the standard ones so yeah, excited to do that A-B test and see if maybe I was, uh, yeah, missing out on some differences and yeah, who knows? Yeah. And for somebody listening, we'll say it again. The reason that we tend to test skis in demo bindings is so that we can adjust mount points and get exactly where we want to be on a given ski. Um, so if one reviewer is in a 26.5 boot and somebody else is in a 27.5 or a 25.5, we can adjust and still be sort of exactly where we ought to be. And since Luke Kappa only likes everything at plus two to plus six of the recommended line, that lets Luke, you know, do that. Yeah, that, that brings up a good point. I like the Mindbender 99 a lot more <laughs> mounted forward. So I, I think I'll have to have to ski it on the recommended line this time. <laughs> Of course you do, Luke. Kara, anything else? No, I mean, just kind of building on the demo bindings versus regular mounted bindings. I think I've heard a lot of people talk about like actual screw patterns and like the profile of the binding affecting the flex of a ski. Um, so I think, you know, one piece of always skiing demo 
versions of bindings is that there is a larger footprint on that ski. And so, um, we'll see, you know, I really, I really don't know how that's going to turn out as far as like, if this effectively shorter screw pattern on this particular binding does make a difference in the flex and like the overall, um, liveliness of a ski. That'll just be one piece I'm curious about. All right. Well, Luke, what else do you think should be front of mind for us and maybe some of the other folks who are going to be following along? Uh, one thing that was really like I barely a thought in my mind for this one, but was a major thought when we were doing touring bindings is like, are we going to pop out of any of these more often than the others? Do we have to run different DIN settings? Um, I know there's been certain bindings in the past where I've, I've, thought that I should probably run the the heel specifically one din higher or something like that. So we'll see if we have any spectacular crashes. Hopefully we get some good photos if we do. Um, and then, yeah, the big one for me is just the 50-50 bindings, the shift and the Duke PT versus these regular Alpine bindings, especially because the Duke PT, the heel piece is essentially the same as a uh, Jester or a Squire, I believe, is the 12. The Jester is the 16. And Solomon's new Strive Alpine binding looks a whole lot like a shift. Um, so comparing those against each other on the same exact ski that's going to be super interesting and seeing yeah if we notice any differences because these are touring bindings that have the they're certified to the same standards as alpine bindings um and a lot of people ski them in the resort we've skied them in the resort a lot but we've never had a chance to do this very precise test against their non-touring counterparts well cool this is going to be really interesting and honestly i think i should probably say here (laughs) If you're interested in what we're doing, this would probably be a very good time to become a Blister member because I think we're going to be publishing a ton of stuff under the like guise of Flash reviews because I can very quickly see this kind of almost turning into like a Dear Diary type of situation. Like it's going to be like 1 a.m. and I'm going to be like, Dear Diary, I'm really surprised by what I found today comparing the shift to the strive binding and i'm not totally sure i have this worked out but i want to kind of you know put down on paper some of the conflicting thoughts that's where i see this going because i'm weird and you two are pretty weird too and then drew's definitely weird and so um i think there's going to be a lot of good like in real time kind of hashing this out that we definitely are not just going to make available to the public where that's kind of our on record official pronouncements. This is going to take some time. And I mean, as soon as we're, you know, as soon as there's snow on the ground, we're going to start in on, on some of this A, B, C, D, E, F, and Ging. But um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a lot to, uh, to come to kind of some considered opinions uh, on, on this. So also going to be interesting to see how much agreement there is among all of us, right? So anyway, folks, that's it. Anybody want the last word on this before we go to what we're celebrating? I was just going to say for those who, uh, I know we built a lot of suspense as far as talking about the Mindbender 99 TI. We have reviews up on the website for both the women's version and the men's version, and they are the same ski aside from graphics. So that's not going to factor into this process at all. That's it, folks. We're excited about this one. I don't really know that a test like this has ever been done or been done to this scale. So um, yeah, this one's going to be an interesting one. Okay, Luke and I need to go ride bikes here. 
Kara probably already rode. Kara sneaks out and gets these rides in, I think. Okay. I rode Tio at 5.30 a.m. tomorrow or yesterday morning, so I don't want to hear Tomorrow? You rode Tio at 5.30 a.m. tomorrow? She's that efficient. Yesterday, and I'm not. I'm still tired from it. Um, so, if you 5.30 a.m. ride, it's a good way did to you, sneak it in, just saying. Did you I did do the same this weekend. Yeah. It's a good way to do it, but I don't do it during the week. <laughs> 5.30 a.m. It can be done. Oh, I almost hit a moose. <laughs> what? <laughs> I I did the 5.30 a.m. ride on 401 last Saturday because people don't get there early. Um, Was the only person in the parking lot. Um, Really fun ride. Beautiful. Wildflowers are crazy. Was absolutely soaked because all the vegetation is so long and covered in dew. And then, yeah, came around a blind corner when it gets into the trees and there was a moose that looked like it was about seven feet tall, about 10 yards in front of me. Just about crapped my pants. Did you just hit the brakes and wait? I mean, this is that's actually like real dangerous. Really right? dangerous. Yeah. yeah. Thankfully, because it was so wet, my brakes were squeaking a ton. Uh, and so I was like, break. Of course, I was breaking yeah. in the corner like a professional. Right. Exactly. Um, and I <laughs> like going fairly fast. But I think the combination of my brake squealing and me just coming up on it startled it just as much as me. So it like kind of shuffled away and I hid behind a tree behind my bike for like 10 minutes and then I was making a bunch of noise and then just like slowly crept out and just had my finger on my brakes the whole time so I was making noise and I didn't see it after that thankfully but yeah I forgot I hadn't told you guys yet wow Wild breaks for the win and also yeah. <laughs> I saw a moose on 401 when I was solo this season as well so everyone be careful out there yeah yeah plus I'm surprised that moose wasn't like look at this dummy breaking in the corner I'm just gonna he was the one standing in the middle of the trail behind a blind corner like that's poor trail <laughs> etiquette <laughs> do you guys want to hear my animal story it's a lot less like threatening than your animal story related First of all, cows are back in the backyard. So happy. So happy. Shot a bunch of videos. Haven't posted them anywhere. I just like hanging with the cows and then I shoot the videos and I'm like, I guess that's just for me now. Maybe, I, maybe I'll maybe i post with this episode of like bonus me chilling with my neighborhood cows uh, video. You're welcome, Gear 30 listeners. Um, so there, you're right. There is that happening. But last night I was out the day wrapped up, I missed a bike ride. And so I was on kind of a run, but then my friend Marcy called. And so I'm talking to Marcy, I'm on the phone and two Fox just ran up to me. Like they were like dogs in the neighborhood. And I'm like talking to Marcy. I'm like, hang on, Marcy, I'm about to be attacked or this is just a really nice moment. And um, yeah, I was up on summit road and uh, these two very thin Fox ran up and they were probably like, dude, Give me some grub. But um, they I've never had two fox like come again, like literally just like kind of golden retriever puppies, like uh-huh. <laughs> all the way up to you. And I was like, I don't, should I just pet you or take you home? What should we do here? Um, so that was my animal story. I didn't feel very threatened for my life, like at any point. Well, that's good. <laughs> Nor- I think that's, it's problematic. Do not pet the foxes. Yeah, yeah, don't, yeah. <laughs> I think I just made the plural of fox, fox, by the way, not foxes. Yeah, yeah. But, um, okay, do yes. not pet the fox. <laughs> the foxes, <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, well, this, I guess, officially kicks off our what we're celebrating segment. I have in my hand just a dram, just a little dram, because we got to go ride bikes, but a little whistle pig, piggyback, six-year-old rye, neat. Luke, you're rocking some 
seltzer water. What do you got yep. going? Okay. Kara's Much hitting it a exciting. little harder over there, I think. Topo Chico, margarita, hard seltzer. 10 out of 10, do recommend. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What are you guys celebrating this week? Um, well, I am celebrating, we're officially to the point in the summer season, the harvest season, where pretty much everything I'm consuming is stuff I grew. Um, so I came home from a trip like over 10 days ago and I have yet to go to the grocery store, which means I'm basically only eating eggs and vegetables, but it's still a pretty good life. You're That's eating like my diet m- minus the vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Um, worth celebrating. Also a bit of a teaser for an upcoming blister podcast conversation that should air this Monday starring Kara Williard talking about food. It's going to be interesting. Okay, Luke, what do you got? Uh, I am celebrating biking and specifically mountain bike racing. So I have, I've never really been that into like following sports super closely. Like growing up in Wisconsin, like the Packers are essentially a deity. Um, But it was never like a huge thing for me, but it's been super cool to... I think the cool thing with mountain bike racing is like all the racers are so accessible. Like you get to know their personalities, their backgrounds. And when you do that, it just makes it all the more exciting. And all of the races have been extremely entertaining. They've all been really close. There's different people podiuming all the time. Um, The coverage is really good and I'm trying to savor it because it's changing drastically next year. Kind of scared about that. But for now, I'm just really enjoying it, especially like working hard on this buyer's guide. But like we've had races almost every weekend to like take an hour or two and just be on the edge of your seat the whole time. Um, Yeah, I'm just loving it and looking forward to seeing how the rest of the, the season pans out. All right. Well, you guys had pretty good ones. I've already talked about the cows, the encounter with the foxes. So I actually been thinking about this one and this was real. And I actually wrote this down when it happened. I'm celebrating shout. Do you know that like laundry detergent thing called shout? Mm -hmm. I've heard of it. Yes. I recently, when I was on my like Salt Lake City to Park City to Sun Valley, Park City, Salt Lake, blah, 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 blah. I um, was real tired one morning, ran into a grocery store because I wasn't like near any good coffee spot or anything, grabbed something, a can, because it said that it was a triple shot. It was oh, like yeah, a was small good. can, just triple, like, and just coffee, nothing else. And I'm like, that sounds like what I need in my life. I'm driving to another meeting and I like shake this thing. And then look at the can and it says, do not shake. <laughs> and now I'm in a like conundrum, right? I'm like, there's coffee, like caffeine inside this <laughs> container that I just shook. But the container says, do not shake. And it was a little bit like Mission Impossible. Like, do you clip the, you know, the red, uh, <laughs> the red wire, or the blue wire? I went except for there's it. only one. Yeah, except there's only one. <laughs> it automatically so, explodes. <laughs> it automatically exploded. I mean, like exploded. Oh. And I had on these white shorts, like kind of a white, but like plaid, but like white shorts. I mean, the whole thing of coffee was just all over the white shorts. For some reason, and I really don't know why, I had a thing of shout. I don't love. I'm sure horrible chemical 
product. It's got to be terrible. But I had some of this in like the the back of my rig. I had to pull over to, on like I pulled off like the side of the highway and like went down, basically stripped pretty much naked and then just shot the crap out of these shorts with this shout terrible chemical stuff. That stuff worked 100 percent. It's probably a terrible product in terms of like any kind of concern about the earth. And I feel real bad about that. But I will have to say that stuff totally works. That's what I learned. And I was like, honestly, I mean, I was like, I've literally thought like this probably deserves mention in a what we're celebrating segment. And here you go. Shout out to shout. Shout out to shout. Do you guys know anything about that stuff? Literally, I think when I got my place, whoever, like the people who lived here before me, they left it. Like I definitely have never bought shout in my life. So who knows? This is this could be like some ten year old stuff too. I have no idea. Yeah, strong stuff. I've never had much success with any of that. I have a lot of like plain white t shirts that don't stay plain white for very long, but. Maybe I'll have to borrow it because I need to get some stains out and we'll see. Anyway, listeners, if you hear this and you too have had good success with this stuff, or if you're like, you know what, if you actually know, don't speculate, but if you're like, look, that is seriously terrible and you should definitely never use that, let us know that too. Or let us know if it is terrible because it's almost like it worked so well, I just assume it has to be terrible. Mm If there's a better alternative that you would recommend, but I was quite impressed. I was very sad that all of the coffee in that container ended up on the not in my mouth part. I'm surprised you didn't like wring your shorts out first, trying <laughs> to get it back into the can. I mean, I'm trying to remember what I did in that. I was also like, I'm going to be late to this meeting. I don't think I did anything like that. So, and I would, I would tell you if I did. So yeah, I kept it, I kept it pretty adult. Anyway, that's what I got. That went for a really long time. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of time on that shout anecdote. So I think we should wrap. On that note, thanks to Luke Kappa and Kara Williard. Thanks to you both too, because again, like we're also doing a metric shit ton of other things around here, and we're excited to be rolling this stuff out quite soon. Thanks to our strikingly handsome podcast producer, Justin Bob for producing this lovely episode. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you're fans of Gear 30, we would always appreciate it if you would subscribe to Gear 30, leave us a rating or review, or if you just are excited about this upcoming, you know, Alpine ski binding test that we're going to do and spend many, many hours on, you know, give us a shout out for that. Give us a shout out, right? Shout, hashtag shout. That's all we got for you Monday over on the Blister Podcast an episode that I am very much looking forward to with the one and only Kara Williard talking about mountain towns and local food systems. You heard it here first. All right, everybody, enjoy the weekend. We'll talk to you later.